As you might know, uh, we are in week eight of our current series here at Rooftops called The Gospel According to Pixar. Um, we've been studying the Bible pretty intensely for a while. We thought we would take, take the summer and do something creative and fun, something that engages our world, something that engages our culture and also our, our minds. So for 25 years, Pixar has been making some of our favorite movies. And as Christians who want to be in the world but not of the world, we thought it would be uh, beneficial to think about these movies from, from, uh, uh, through the lens of faith. Uh, is there anything Christian about them? Is there anything to learn from or, or not? Uh, last week, we got pretty philosophical uh, with our study of uh, the movie Soul. Uh, next week, Skylar's going to be preaching on Monsters, Inc. Yeah, he scares because he cares. But this morning, we're going to consider the second movie that Pixar ever came out with, a silly little movie about bugs. Now, Bugs Life came out in 1998. It was Pixar's uh, follow-up to their wildly successful uh, inaugural movie, Toy Story. The movie is actually a classic twist on Aesop's fable, The Grasshopper and the Ant. Uh, in that fable, a grasshopper dances away the summer while the ant works very hard collecting uh, food for the winter. Uh, when winter comes, the grasshopper asks the ant for some food, but the ant says no and sends the grasshopper off to his death, so it's kind of ugly. Uh, Pixar's version of the grasshopper and the ant is different. In their version, the grasshoppers are not quite so passive. They've actually formed a protection racket, <laughs> through which they extort food from a good-natured but uh, weakly defended ant colony. And when the ants, uh, with the ants slaving away, collecting food, the grasshoppers, led by a, a vicious bug named Hopper, lounge the summer away, drinking tequila in a dirty Mexican bar. Sick of this arrangement, one non-conforming ant named Flick seeks a long-term solution. He volunteers to go and, and recruit some, some, some warrior bugs, uh, to drive the grasshoppers away once and for all. Instead of finding warrior bugs, though, he finds a troop of circus insects <laughs> that he misidentifies as gorilla warrior bugs. It becomes a comedic misunderstanding, but in the end, uh, with the help of his new friends, Flick shows his colony what they're capable of. He leads them to stand up for themselves. They drive the grasshoppers away. Now, I actually like A Bug's Life a lot. Anybody like A Bug's Life a lot? I just love this movie. I saw it in, in 1998 when it first came out. I remember seeing it in the theaters with my friend Shane Mathers, and we were just both busting our, our guts with laughter. The creativity, the humor, the originality, the hilarious outtakes, they all just blew me away. Uh, interestingly, as Pixar has like, added movies to their library, A Bug's Life has sort of kind of fallen in the rankings. It's become just one of their more average films compared to you know, the genius that is some of their other movies. But I still like it. And I, I think even though it's just a computer-animated kids' film, I think it actually gives followers of Jesus plenty to think about. I mean, what's the movie about? The movie's about a lot of things. The movie's about courage. But it's not just about courage. Uh, the movie is about unity. But it's not just about unity, it's about leadership. But it's not just about leadership, it's a movie about suffering. It's about a community that finds its courage to stand up to evil as one under the leadership of someone who suffers on their behalf. That's kind of what the scene that I showed you is just all about. We watched a community of beleaguered ants find their courage to stand up to evil as one under the leadership of someone who suffers for their sakes. I am not stretching anything 
to tell you that this is what Christianity is all about. I mean, courage, unity, leadership, suffering, they're all themes in scripture. I mean, as Christians, what does it mean to be a Christian? It means to follow one who suffered on our behalf and joins us together as one to stand up to evil in the world. I mean, I could demonstrate this to you in several places from the Bible, but the place that I want to take you is is one of my favorite books in Scripture. I want to take you to the the book of Philippians this morning. Uh, Philippians is is a short book in the New Testament. It was written by a a man named Paul. Paul was an early Christian missionary, traveled around the Roman Empire, around the Mediterranean, starting churches, and he happened upon uh, the ancient uh, Roman city of Philippi. He started a church there, and then he kind of moved on to start other churches in other towns. But the Christians in Philippi, after Paul had established this church, the Christians in Philippi uh, had a healthy church, but they also started experiencing some persecution at the hands of their vicious grasshopper Roman overlords. You see, Philippi was, was the capital of the local Roman province. And the leaders of this Roman province based in Philippi, they weren't too keen on religions which encouraged devotion to anybody but Lord as, but anybody other than Caesar as Lord. Christianity has always taught that there is one Lord in heaven on earth, right? Jesus is Lord and that he must be worshipped as Lord over and against any other claimant over against Caesar. Caesar is the, the title of the Roman king. In fact, in the first few centuries, when when Christians would proclaim Jesus is Lord, not only were they proclaiming Jesus is Lord, what else were they they saying? Caesar is not Lord. Not only is Jesus Lord, but Caesar is not him. This got them into trouble with their grasshopper overlords. Paul himself was even arrested by the Roman government for proclaiming that Jesus was Lord and Caesar not his congregation in Philippi hears that, that Paul is in prison and sends a representative from their church with encouragement and supplies. And, and Paul is so touched by, by the, their generosity that he sends them back a letter, the letter to the Philippians filled with instruction and encouragement of his own. And in his letter, he challenges them to remain faithful to the gospel of Christ in the face of Roman opposition. He tells them to stand together against the hoppers of the world under the leadership of Jesus who suffered for their sakes. This message is all over the book of Philippians, but let me share, you one of, share with you one of my favorite passages in the book. It comes from chapter one, starting at verse 27. This is the passage that we're going to be zeroing in on this morning. Philippians 1, 27 through 28. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then, whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved, and that by God. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. Since you are going through the same struggle you saw I had and now hear that I still have. So here in the passage, Paul acknowledges that he he doesn't know what's going to happen to him. He's stuck in prison. He might die. They might execute him. He might be released. He, he, He just doesn't know. But he tells them whatever happens... 
Conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Whatever happens to me, whatever happens to you, conduct yourself in a manner in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Stand firm in one spirit, striving together as one for the faith, for the faith of the gospel, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. That's what he says. Regardless of whether or not they kill us, regardless of whether or not we get free, regardless of whether or not we get stuck here in prison forever, stand strong without being frightened. Now, we are not in prison for our faith, as Paul was. Uh, And we are not gravely persecuted for being followers of Jesus, at least not like the Philippians were. But uh, we still live in an evil world filled with grasshoppers, right? Living well requires courage. You can't succeed in life without courage, courage to do hard things, courage to face up to people that we don't want to have to face up to. And, And even though we might not be persecuted, for our faith, like Christians are in China or other nations, we, we still face opposition to our faith. You see, when we become Christians, we become targets. We become targets of the devil, I believe in the devil, who wants to neutralize us. I mean, what does it mean to be a Christian? It means to stand up for good and righteousness in the world. It means to carry the banner of Jesus to every corner of the globe. The devil is going to work to thwart that. And if we're being sincere in our faith, we will face opposition. And if we don't face opposition, it is likely because we're actually not doing Christianity the right way. I mean, what does Jesus say? Jesus says, woe to you if all men speak well of you. Woe to you if all men speak well of you. Woe to you if you have no enemies. This verse bothers me. It bothers me because I'm a people pleaser. I don't have any enemies. I want people to like me. That's why I became a pastor. <laughs> but Jesus says that if we don't have enemies, it, it might be because we're not following him the right way. I mean, Jesus had enemies because he did things that made enemies. Like he stood up for the poor. He stood up to the religious hypocrites that ruled the day. He proclaimed himself as the only way to be saved. If you're following Jesus, you're going to have enemies. If we're doing Christianity the right way, we're going to have enemies, which raises the question, how will we handle that? How will we handle it when we come up against grasshoppers who oppose us? Well, that's why Paul writes the letter to them. He tells his church in Philippi, and he tells us to conduct ourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, and then he tells us something very specific. He tells us to take a stand. Take a stand, he says. In fact, he doesn't just tell them to take a stand. He tells them to take three stands. Three stances for Jesus. He tells us to stand firm. Tells us to stand together. And he tells us to stand out. Stand firm. Stand together. And stand out. And with the time I have left, that's what I want to talk about. First, tell us to stand firm. As he says in verse 27, stand firm without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. Uh, this phrase, stand firm, it's actually very, very, very common in the whole Bible, in Old Testament and the New Testament. And God's people are almost by definition those who should stand firm. Um, the psalmist writes in Psalm 20, for example, Some trust in chariots, some in horses, but we, we trust in the name of the Lord our God. They are brought to their knees and fall, but who are we? We are those who rise up, stand firm. 
Our old friend Isaiah, he points out, if you do not stand firm in your faith, you will not stand at all. There is no other way to stand in this world for God other than firmly. If not standing firm, you're not going to stand very long. Jesus tells his disciples, you will be hated by everyone because of me. (laughs) Just so we're all clear. (laughs) You will be hated by everyone because of me. But the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. To the end, right? You can't be Christian by standing firm at the beginning. (laughs) That doesn't count. Got to stand firm in such a way that you stand firm at the end. And, and Paul uses this phrase a lot. Uh, he, he says to the Corinthians, another, another church that he starts, he says, My dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord. I could go on. But you get the point. There is no way to be a Christian without standing firm. Why not? Because it's hard to be a Christian. It's not easy. It's hard to be a Christian. Our, our resolve weakens. Uh, people may oppose us. Life overwhelms us. So God warns us. If, if you want to do this, you've got to stand firm. What does it look like to stand firm? Well, it, mean, it means to, to, to plant yourself and, and, and not budge and accept the consequences of, of not moving. When I think of someone standing firm, I think of that guy. Remember this picture from 1989, Tiananmen Square? He, 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 this uh, Democratic dissident stood in front of a, a long uh, train of tanks for like 20 minutes, just I'm not moving. His friends had to drag him out of there. I think of that guy. So yeah, there's a time, you know, standing firm. There's a time for flexibility. There's a time for compromise. But, but sometimes there's not. Uh, years ago, for example, a friend of mine here at Rooftop, a guy named Nathan, he, he was working a job that had him working on Sundays, and he hated it. He hated missing church on Sundays. He hated not being with his, his church family on Sundays, and he asked his boss to help me out, man. I, I want to go to church. And his boss said, sure, I can maybe help you out, but his boss just never really, really did. So finally, Nathan went in, calmly explained. He, he said, I'm, I'm, I have to, I can't do this anymore. He calmly explained to his boss, if I can't get Sundays off, I'm going to have to quit. His boss said, fine, fine, I'm go to church. That's standing firm. Now, honestly, uh, there's a lot of people standing firm these days. We live in a very standing firm climate, live in a very intransient political climate. Everyone's holding their ground these days on COVID, on masks, on America, uh, on politics. Christians are too. And many Christians are, are not having a hard time standing firm today, right? I do wonder, though, if we are standing firm on the right things. Paul writes this to the Thessalonians. He says, So then, brothers and sisters, stand firm, hold fast to the teachings we passed on to you. That's what we're to stand firm upon. The teachings that we have received from God in Scripture. Loving God, loving others, serving the poor, uh, living sexually pure lives, telling people about Jesus, worshiping God together. That's what we need to take a stand on. I mean, I, I see a lot of Christians taking stronger stances for or against masks or vaccines or politics than I have ever seen them taking a stand for Jesus and the gospel. Now, I'm glad we're standing firm. I'm just not sure we're standing firm on the right things. I mean, I'm glad you're pro-mask. I'm glad you're anti-vaccine. Whatever you are, that's your right. But are you as determined to pray for your unsaved neighbor as you are to argue your favorite political point on Facebook? Are you as committed to ridding your mind 
of lust and greed and anger as you are committed to defeating Biden or Republicans at the next election? What are you standing firm upon? Just a question. Now, how do we stand firm? Well, by staying well-rooted. Uh, just like trees with healthy root systems. I mean, that tree can withstand everything, right? Because it's got all that. Like trees with healthy root systems can withstand powerful windstorms. Christians can withstand anything if we are well-rooted. To grow deep roots, it requires time with God in Scripture. It requires copious amounts of time in prayer. It requires time with God's people And it also requires the strength of the Holy Spirit within us. We are not going to stand firm in a world of opposition unless God is standing with us. It is God who helps us stand firm, as Paul writes in another book. Now it is God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. It is God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. He anointed us. He set his seal of ownership on us. He put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. I mean, if you want to stand firm, stand firm by virtue of the Holy Spirit, which God has poured into your life. It is by God's power in you that you can stay strong. It is by God's power in you that you can stand firm. Stand firm, Paul writes. Secondly, stand together. As he writes to the Philippians, stand firm in one spirit contending as one man for the faith of the gospel. Uh, This this was Flick's point to his brethren, right? Uh, We can stand up to these grasshoppers if we stand together. United stand, divided we fall. That's how all the great enemies of the past have been defeated. Hitler, Saddam, Thanos, Hopper. They were defeated as the forces of good organized assembled, stood up, united. I mean, that's why we need you on board here at Rooftop. That's why we need you here serving, connecting, uh, giving, signing up as members. And honestly, that's why you need us. I mean, there's too much opposition in your life to try to stand up to the forces of the devil that are opposed against you to, to try to do that without the family of God standing with you. You're not going to be able to enjoy that just by popping in every other Sunday morning. And what does it look like for Christians to stand together? Well, it actually might not look like what you think. Uh, This phrase, uh, contending as one man, that's what Paul says. says, Stand firm, contending as one man. That actually might be a a weak translation of the Greek here. New Testament is written in Greek. And uh, a, a more literal rendition of the Greek there might be this. Stand firm in one spirit with one mind. Stand firm in one spirit with one mind. And this is a theme that Paul just hammers. This one-mindedness, Paul hammers this in Philippians. As he says uh, later in chapter 2, Make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit, one of mind. And it continues, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others better than yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. So, so the way to have one mind as God's people isn't necessarily to like agree on everything. Like That's not one-mindedness. I agree with ev- all of you about everything. That's not going to happen. The way to have one mind is to have the same love for each other. The same humility 
as one another and as God showed us. To be humble, to serve, have the same mind, stand together by showing each other the same love and humility. Even, even later in Philippians, Paul gets specific on this theme. In fact, there was a, there was a situation in, in uh, the church in Philippi, uh, a conflict in the church between two leaders named Sintiki and Yodia. Interesting names back then. They would probably chuckle at our names, though, by the way. Matt Scholar. <laughs> That's so funny. <laughs> so Sintiki and Yodia. And this conflict between Sintiki and Yodia was actually harming the church's um, unity and mission. At the end of the letter, Paul writes this. He says, Therefore, my brothers and sisters, you whom I love, you who I long for, my joy and crown, stand firm in the Lord in this way, dear friends. I plead with Yodia and Sintiki to be of the same mind in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you all to help these women. So basically, two women in the church at Philippi were stuck in this conflict with each other. We don't know what the conflict was. We don't know if it was like theological. We don't know if it was like the color of the carpet. We don't know if it was Caesar's latest mask mandate. We, we don't know. But Yodia and Syntyche were at odds, and it was a big enough problem that Paul mentions them by name in his letter. Imagine me doing that here on Sunday morning. Imagine me doing that. Okay, before we get to my sermon, I just, okay, Bill over there, Cliff over there. Would you just stand up? Bill, would you bless Cliff? I don't know what's going on between you two, but it's a problem. And you gotta like, we gotta do it now. And, and if you guys can't like figure that out, like right now, here's what Paul says. The re- everybody else here, we need to help you. Like right now. Like, Betty back there, can you, like, help Bill and Cliff right here? And, and maybe Janice, I and mean, you know Bill, right? You can help Bill work through whatever stuff is going on. This, this, Paul's just calling it out. This is ridiculous that this has been allowed to linger. So to have the same mind as Christians doesn't mean to agree on everything. It just means to love each other with the same love. It means to work out relational conflicts with the same urgency. Yodia and Syntyche might not agree on things, but can they live and worship together in harmony with the help of the community? Our church has been tested in this respect uh, the last 18 months. As you probably know, we are a very diverse congregation, at least theologically and politically. COVID, elections, racial injustice have tested our unity One of the things that I've found myself doing a lot of recently is meeting with people from both sides on multiple issues who want to talk about people on the other side. Yodia wants to schedule a meeting with me to talk about Sintiki. Pastor Matt, can you believe that Sintiki doesn't wear a mask? And can you believe she hasn't been vaccinated? She's going to kill us all. And I have to say, no, Yodia, Sintiki isn't going to kill us all, but she does have her convictions. But, but beside that, have you actually talked to her about these things? I mean, you're Christian sisters, right? You can have a conversation. And then Sintiki schedules a meeting and says, Matt, can you believe Yodia? Yodia is, is double masking, triple masking. She thinks we should all be wearing masks at church. She's had every limb vaccinated twice. She wants to take away our freedoms. And I have to say, no, no, Sintiki. 
The ODA doesn't want to take away our freedoms. She just wants to save lives in a way different than you do. But besides which, have you, have you talked to each other about that? Can, can you love and serve each other in the midst of these disagreements? People come and talk to me about their disagreements with other people instead of actually communicating with those people. Honestly, folks, it's a little exhausting. We don't have to agree with each other, but as followers of Jesus, we do have to listen to and learn from each other, and we have to do so with humility. Because whatever you think, and however you want to live your life, what your brother or sister in Christ thinks matters more. Whatever you think, what your brother or sister in Christ thinks matters more. That's from the Bible. Here's what Paul says. Chapter 2, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. To value others means to value their thoughts, their opinions, their convictions. Not looking to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. That's what it means to stand together in one mind and spirit. Love and serve each other's interests as more important than your own. That's how we can show a fractured world what it means to stand together in the love of Jesus. They can't do that. We can. To stand for Jesus means stand firm, stand together, and lastly, it means stand out. Paul writes in verse 27, whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Basically, Paul's telling the Philippians here, be different, right? Stand out. Whatever happens to you, live your life in such a way that reflects Jesus, that is worthy of Jesus. Uh, I know that compared to the timeless story of Scripture, my frequent references to A Bug's Life sound fairly trite, but <laughs> um, I did like this about the movie. I mean, Flick, a bug after my own heart, he's kind of a nonconformist. And he was always looking for a way to, to, to do things better. He was rejected for some of his crazy ideas, but he stuck with them, and he, he stood out until everybody saw that his way was better. Christians should also be looking for a way to, to do things better. And there, there are lots of ways that we can stand out and do things better. Jesus shows us how to do things better. Living righteous lives filled with humility, grace, gentleness is a good place to start. I mean, whether at home or, or work in your neighborhood, do you stand out? Ask yourself that question right now. Do you stand out in your community as someone who looks like Jesus? Does anybody even know that you're a follower of Jesus? And if they do know that you're a follower of Jesus, is it because you're a Christian jerk? Because <laughs> there is a, a growing category there. Or a Christian servant? The book of Philippians is filled with ideas on how to stand out for Jesus. They are all fairly obvious. Uh, living a life of joy, perpetual joy, helps us stand out. Speaking gently to others helps us stand out. As Paul says in chapter 4, rejoice in the Lord always. Always. I, I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. We always like talk about the first half of this. I mean, it's so hard rejoicing a, a Lord always. And then we just kind of stop there. And this, I think this one's just as hard. Let your gentleness be evident to all. That'll make you stand out. But let me share with you one of the things that makes us stand out the most. What makes us stand out the most is to serve God and others without complaint. Serve God and others without complaining. And Paul says it as he writes in chapter 2. Do everything without grumbling or arguing, complaining, so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God, without fault, 
in a warped and crooked generation, then you will stand out. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold on firmly to the word of life. You want to stand out. Stop complaining. Stop arguing. Now, of course, this makes sense, right? I mean, our world is filled with grumblers. Our world is filled with complainers. I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to do that. And if I am, I'm not going to like it. And that's why Paul tells Christians to be different. Stand out by not complaining. I will confess my own failures here. I am a complainer. I've been complaining all week. Just between you and me and everybody watching on the internet. (laughs) I have not stood out for Jesus very much this week. Uh, when, When life gets hard, I get fussy. And the world must know. (laughs) Uh, That's why I am so blessed to be surrounded by people who do not complain. My elders here at Rooftop, they live very hard lives. They work very hard here at church, and they do not complain. My wife is a tremendous woman with incredible responsibility, and she doesn't complain. Uh, Even my kids outshine me here. Uh, Those of you who knew my son Mitchell... Uh, You know what he went through with his illness. Uh, You also know, for the most part, I mean, everyone's allowed to complain a little bit, right? I'm I'm a realistic here. But for the most part, he he did not complain. In fact, I actually thought about him a lot as I was preparing this message. Uh, When he was suffering with his illness, living in his wheelchair, uh, with a couple years to go, uh, during his senior year, he was was running for student body president up at Afton High. He was a politically-minded kind of guy. And uh, he could barely stand anymore. He had lost a lot of strength, lost a lot of stability. Uh, but he wanted to run for president. Uh, I, was his, I had the honor of being his campaign director. And we had a great idea for a campaign poster. So we drove up to the high school uh, one weekend and, and uh, loaded him in and out and uh, rolled him up to the front. And he mustered, he mustered all his strength, all his balance. He was able to stand for like two pictures. And this was it. In front of Afton, Mitchell Herndon, first two co-president, taking a stand for you. Who won? <laughs> That's what it means to stand out, right? It means to suffer well without complaining. When I see that picture, I think of a lot of things, but I think of uh, Flick standing up to Hopper, bruised and bloodied by suffering, but standing strong against evil. That was the moment that his ant colony realized We can stand up to this guy. Maybe this was the moment that the student body of Afton High School said, you know what, I'm going to face a lot in life, but this is the guy I want leading us. Or more than flick when I see this picture, I think of Jesus. I think of Jesus standing up to the devil in the desert. I think of Jesus standing up to the Pharisees. I think of Jesus standing up to Pontius Pilate. Or I, I, I even think of Jesus standing up to God. Arguing to God, the Father, on our behalf. God, I I know humanity, they deserve nothing. But you love them, I love them. Let's make a way. Or I think of Jesus standing out against a dark sky, hanging on the cross for our sins. I mean, talk about not complaining, right? Jesus was asked to suffer death for our sins so that we could live forever, and he didn't complain. He did it. He went to the cross on our behalf. He suffered at the hands of evil grasshoppers. He suffered for the poor, for preaching the gospel, for living a righteous life. He died for it, and in dying, he made it possible for us to live forever. But in suffering without complaining, he showed us what true courage is. 
And this morning, the resurrected Christ, he's not hanging on the cross anymore, the resurrected Christ is inviting us to stand with him. He's inviting us to stand firm, unmoved by evil, planted firmly in the word of truth. He's inviting us to stand together with our brothers and sisters, who we know are at our side, who we would not dare try to live life without. And he's inviting us to stand out. Stand out, not by virtue of our politics, but by virtue of the equality and the righteousness of our lives, our holiness, our humility, our servanthood, our love 